is the most important question you think you would have to answer throughout your life? Where am I going to go to college? Kind of set the phase for everything. Who will I marry? You get that one wrong, that could make life really difficult. Uh, how am I going to raise my kids? Raising kids is, is a great joy, but it's also a great, great challenge. Um, you know, what, where, what am I going to do for retirement? Where am I going to, where am I going to retire? What am I going to have for lunch? I don't know. It depends on what your, what your priorities are, right? I would, I would suggest to you that the most important question that you could answer is who is God? Because the answer to this question leads to eternal life. Jesus tells us in the book of John, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So big important question, who is God? That's, the, um, that's our series, that's the title for it, and our premise for the whole series is God is perfect, God is true, God is power, and in all these things, he is for you. Perfect, true, power. We're going to spend the month of November talking about perfect. We're going to spend the month of December talking about true. And we're going to spend the month of January talking about power. So that's, that's where we're going. As we think about who God is, we, it's the God of the Bible is so big and so complex and so, um, some would even say, mysterious, that there is nothing that I nor any other teacher could ever no amount of words we could give you that would fully explain the God of the Bible. And you know what? I am so thankful for that. I, I think that is one of, the, um, one of the top reasons why we could and should praise him and, and worship him. Because he is a God that is that big, that is that overwhelming, that is that mysterious. And he deserves our worship and our praise just for that alone. Um, and I would even suggest to you that if we, could, if we could figure out who God is in a couple of sentences, then he probably wouldn't be a God worth following. That if we could, if we could wrap our minds around him, like one of the beautiful things is we could spend our entire life following Jesus and studying him and spending time with him and spending time with other people who love him, and we would still never fully figure him out. And that's what the, one of the joys of heaven will be is we'll get to see him in all in all of his glory and get to experience him. This, this life is kind of work and practice, practice towards that. Maybe the most mysterious part of God is this thing called the Trinity. Last week, we finished up our series in the book of Matthew with this verse. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, name, singular. And then he lists three people. Hmm? In, in the Bible, um, Jesus refers to himself as God. And he says, the Father and I are one. Again. Hmm? In the Old Testament, Job praises God the Spirit for creating him. Okay. So, now we got some work to do. We're going we're gonna to break this down into pieces, and one of the, reason, one of the ways that people try to wrap their, their brains around things that are hard to understand is through the use of analogy. And I'm going to tell you right now, and I've used some of these analogies before, none of these analogies work. They all either fall short or they, um, they're just flat out wrong. Like a, an egg has three parts, but they're distinct, they're not the same, and the sun 
the sun is the sun, and it gives heat and light. So it actually creates the two other things, which is not the trinity. And then there's the clover, which those three parts, again, are just two distinct and then there's water which can exist as vapor a solid or a liquid but at, at different times and under different circumstances none of those things can can capture the fullness of who god is so we're going to do our best to try to explain the unexplainable how's that for a no-win task right this is james white theologian within one being that is god there exists eternally three co-equal and co-eternal persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Paul ends, the Trinity is composed of three united persons without separate existence, so completely united as to form one God. The three subsist in three distinctions. Subsist, co-equal, co-eternal distinctions. Those are pretty words, but I, you know, they don't necessarily help a lot. They're absolutely true and write definitions, but I, I, think we can, I think we can do better, not that I can do better than Paul Enns and James White, but with, with a little bit more work, I think we can, do, we can do better. Here are the three premises that have to be considered when we think about the Trinity. God is one, God is three, God is three and one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is one, there is only one God. God is three. There are three distinct persons within one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is three in one. Each person exercises the same divine attributes, but each does so in a manner fitting to his unique personal properties. We're going to break each one of those down a little bit more to try to get our, our brains around them. God is one. Old Testament, New Testament alike. There is only one God. There's lots of other supposed deities out there, but there is only one God. God says that about himself. We look at Deuteronomy 6.4, the verse we just read in the, in the child dedication, James 19. There is only one God. This is the belief we call monotheism. The um, Judaism and Islam and Christianity all share this belief in one God. Christianity is the only one that views that one God as having three persons and those three persons being being one. There's only one God. And I'm going to spend the least amount of time on that because that's kind of, I think, the one that we are most, most familiar with and is the least complicated to, to understand. As we look at um, God being three, we can look at his activity and his attributes. We're going to dive into the activity of God. Specifically, we're going to look at creation, salvation, and prayer. And in creation, we see the Father as the source of creation. We see the Son as the agent, and we see the Spirit as power and the care over creation. Very first verse in the Bible talks about God and the Spirit, and the Spirit hovering over the waters of chaos that existed before creation. And in John, the first uh, part of the chapter 1 of John we read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. That's Jesus. That Word is Jesus. All three of them were there present at creation, in creation, working towards creation in their unique personal ways. As we look at creation, we should worship the Creator. 
We can look around us at nature. We can look around us at each other. All the things, our relationships, the things that God has given us, and those all make him all the more worthy of our worship. Not the create, not the creation. We don't worship the creation. We worship the creator. And because God, the Godhead, that's sometimes a term that's used, right? God, three in one. Um, because God created life, we consider life sacred, right? Unborn life, the aged and the infirm, those who come from other countries, all the sanctity of all life. And we hold all life sacred. When, when we look at who it is that performed creation and how he did it, it should move us and it should stir us to action. The activity of the Trinity should shape the activity of humanity. When we look at God and how he worked in creation, that should motivate us and move us. In salvation, we see God the Father as the one having the design of salvation. We see Jesus as the one who carried out the mission or who implemented the plan. And in the Spirit, we see the one who sustains the plan of salvation. When we think about Jesus coming to earth, this was not God's plan B. It wasn't like, oh, what have they done? How are we going to fix this? It was the plan, God's eternal plan from the beginning, that Jesus the Son would come to earth and walk among us as one of us and live a perfect life and die innocently and raise triumphantly. And then when we come to follow him, the part of God that is the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. Sometimes the phrase indwelling is used, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And it's that Holy Spirit who works in us to continue to shape us into Jesus' likeness, that we would, little by little, over the course of time, we would look less like us and more like him. The Holy Spirit sustains the plan of salvation. God has a plan, and he is with us. As we look at this last piece, as we look at, um, at prayer being the, the last piece, we have God the Father as being sovereign over all. We have Jesus as the mediator, the one who makes it possible for us to even pray, to communicate with God. And then we have the Spirit as the, the translator and the coordinator. Um, I'm not, I, I, and I say, I use those terms with all, all reverence and, and deference um, in a way to try to explain the way God works in, in something like prayer. God the Father is sovereign. He's in control of everything. Jesus, through his life and death and resurrection, made it possible. There's a verse in Hebrews that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. We can boldly go before the throne of grace with confidence because of what Jesus did. Because of what Jesus did, when God looks at us, it's as if Jesus is coming to him. He sees Jesus when he sees us, when we're in relationship with him. And then the beautiful part about Jesus and the way the Trinity works is that God didn't set this whole thing in motion and then leave us to our own devices, right? The Holy Spirit translates for us. The New Testament says that the Spirit knows the mind of God. The Spirit dwells within us. He knows our mind. The Spirit prompts us when we should pray. 
The New Testament tells us that when we don't know what to say, the Spirit will intercede for us. It might not even be in words, just in groans and sounds. In prayer, we see the Trinity at work in their unique persons and the way that they fulfill that. In prayer is not just a means of communication with God, but prayer is an act of worship honoring who God is, Father, Son, and Spirit. Three pieces of the activity of God, each part of the Godhead fully involved in their own personal way. We look at the attributes of God, and this is what makes the three one. God exists, his being, his glory, and his power all exist to the same extent, to the same degree, in each the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We look at the power of God. It is what God is capable of. We look at God's glory. The Bible tells us that God's glory, it's what he is, and it's what he deserves. And we look at his being. He is self-existent. He doesn't need anything. He existed. He's the uncaused cause. He existed, has always existed, and he has always existed perfectly. Co-equally, co-eternally. They all share those characteristics in common, and they have not just forever, but that co-eternally part means that God exists outside of time. Each one of them exists outside of time. So as we, as we push ahead, right, we got God is one, God is three, God is three in one. We look at the biblical authors. In the book of 1 Corinthians, we read, the Father is God. We read in Philippians, Jesus is God. In John, Jesus refers to himself as God. The Holy Spirit, Peter refers to as God in the book of Acts. This is, um, it's pronounced Yahweh. In the, in the Hebrew, they're, they didn't use vowels. Um, this was the name for God that, that ancient people would not say because it was, it was that sacred and that holy and they did not, and they wouldn't write it. They did not want to screw it up and dishonor God in that way. Those references at the bottom are references of New Testament authors talking about God the Father and God the Son. And they're referencing back to the Old Testament, God the Father, God the Son, and the Spirit. And the language that they use intersects. They're using the same term. So they call God the Father, Yahweh. They call God the Son, Yahweh. They call God the Spirit, Yahweh. Three in one. Really, this is complex. And I, I, I want, my goal was for us to leave here this morning with a sense of mystery. Not necessarily a sense of, yeah, I got it, I understand the Trinity. Because this is, this is a big and complicated thing. I'm going to step up to the side and read to you this quote. This is a theologian named Wayne Grudem. Each person of the Trinity has all of the attributes of God, and no person has any attributes that are not possessed by the others. On the other hand, we must say that the persons are real, that they are not just different ways of looking at the one being God. The only way it seems possible to do this is to say that the distinction between the persons is not a difference of being, but of relationships. This is something far removed from our human experience where every different human person is a different being as well. Somehow, God's being is so much greater than ours that within his one undivided being, 
there can be an unfolding interpersonal relationship so that the, there can be three distinct persons. The first, like, 17 times I read that, it made my head hurt. Um, it's, it's deep, and it's thick, and it is beyond anything that we have. I titled this, this particular message Perfectly Unique. We, there is no point of reference for someone who can exist as one, three, and, and three, and one. Some of us think better in, in pictures, right? This is a graphic depiction of God as the Trinity and each of the three parts and how it's described. The Father is God, but he is not the Son and he is not the Spirit. The Spirit is God, but he's not the Father, he's not the Son. The Son is God, but he's not the Spirit and he's not the Father. Three in one. So, why, why does this matter? Why is this important? This, is, this, this could feel and seem like a lot of theological mumbo-jumbo for a bunch of guys in an ivory tower who like to argue with each other. This, it's, this is who God says he is. This is his self-revelation of who he is to us. And we could just stop there. And, and like, okay, that should be enough. But God, God goes on. The, the, person, the persons of the Trinity answer for us questions of origin, creation. They answer questions of destiny, salvation, where are we going? They answer questions of morality and how we should live in constant communication with God as a means of communication and a means of worship. As we, as we think about God, the Trinity, two, two things come to mind. The first one is love. God was existed before anything else, always has, always will. And the Bible tells us that God is love. And the only way for him to be love is for him to exist in multiples of a person. In order for love to happen, there has to be a sender, there has to be a receiver, and there has to be the power of love itself. If God did not exist in three, that would make him need someone or something. And a needy deity is no deity at all. That's not my phrase. I wish I remembered who said that to give him credit. But. And then the other thing, so we have love. God exists. He is love. And this idea of, of unity amidst diversity. You read the last several chapters of the, of the book of John, the Gospel of John. And Jesus spends a lot of time, doesn't use the word Trinity. The word Trinity is never used in the Bible. That's actually an argument some people have against it. That, well, the Bible doesn't say Trinity. It's not there. Um, but Jesus spends a good part of the end of the Gospel of John talking about the Trinity. That's where he says the Father and I are one. And he talks about how they exist to give each other glory. And he talks about how the Spirit is going to come, part of Jesus is going to come and live inside of those first believers and every believer thereafter. In the, in the hours before Jesus dies and is going to depart from his first followers, he goes to great lengths to explain how he exists in these three persons, how the diversity can exist in unity. And 
as we look around at our world around us today, maybe more than anything, we need to figure out how diversity can exist in a sense of unity. So as we go, as we go forward, I actually, I had a, a different conclusion written for this this morning. Um, and at this, I had it written earlier in the week and this morning as I was praying, um, I, I just felt God impressing on me. Like I, this wasn't like an audible voice, but just like this impression that God was speaking to me. This is important for us as a community because God is in the beginning phases of calling us to reach further out. And we, in order for us to reach further out as a community, we have to, even more intentionally, with, with more fervor, we have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We have to look up that much harder so that we might understand him, so that we might be able to go out into the world and offer the love that the triune God of the Bible is, so that we might be go be able to go out into the world and offer a place of unity amidst diversity. The two, the two fastest uh, growing belief systems in the world right now are Islam and postmodernism. And Islam is all unity. Postmodernism is all diversity. They won't accept either peace. And within Christianity, we can take an alternative to the world that says there is a way to exist. It's actually the way that you were created to exist. That all these different tribes and tongues and nations will come together in unity. And the reason, the reason we can do that is because of the Trinity. The plan of God the Father, the implementation of God the Son, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that will enable us to live and act like the Trinity is real. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that you would um, that you would reveal yourself to us, that you didn't leave us to bumble around in the dark, that you would speak of who you are, and e even though we can't wrap our, our minds fully around it, God, that you would reveal enough of yourself that we could begin to understand that you are one and that you are three and that you are three in one, and that has significant implications for the way that we live. Lord Jesus, I ask for um, a blessing of just increased understanding that right now in this moment you would open hearts and minds that people would have a greater appreciation and a greater understanding of who you are. And that greater appreciation, greater understanding would drive us to reach out further into the world, into the places of mess, into the places that aren't right or left or conservative or liberal, but into the places where we need to go and that you would empower us to do that. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you. Amen.